Welcome to the Red Letters Podcast, a community of abuse survivors focusing not on the perpetrators of the abuse, but on the joy, agency, and strength that await you after trauma. We hope that you stay and listen and feel safe in this family through the stories that we share. We don't just empathize, we've walked through it ourselves. So, welcome home. You're a true badass. So we've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. Five years. Mm-hmm. We getting old. Half a decade of love. We, that's right. <laughs> We're officially Angelinos too. Five like year anniversary, baby. Mm-hmm. Probably as close. Almost. It'll be Almost. in the when fall. Is it? In the fall is yeah. our actual anniversary. September. I remember. Let's celebrate this year <laughs> consensually. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so it's sexy. What I know about you is that your story is, as it pertains, your story is much greater than these particular chapters, but there are chapters of abuse and assault, and that's why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. But you, your story began more than five years ago, since I've known you, and yeah. here we are now, just now, doing this. And you've kind of introed people into the purpose of the Red Letters, and what you're doing, and why you want to do it, and why now, in the overall sense of, mm-hmm. it took a while to get here, mm-hmm. but... Let's get a little more specific. I mean, we want to hear your story as the founder of this thing. Like, what is your story? How do you frame it now that led up to us sitting here? Yeah. Feel free, by the way, as I tell this, to like interrupt or guide it. Because, I mean, I feel like it's a long one. So I will try to make it concise for our listeners. (laughs) Um, But essentially, it sort of begins when I was about five years old. Um, I had an uncle in his teens who sexually assaulted me, he raped me, and I had had those memories for a long time, but they were sort of cut into pieces, and I didn't know what they meant because at the time especially, yeah, yeah, way back in the 90s, um, no one's talking about uh, – rape or inappropriate touching really to children we just didn't really talk about it it was uncomfortable we'd rather not have that conversation now it's great there's children's books about it called red flag and green flag moments which i highly recommend that people buy for their children it's the best way to sort of start that conversation Mm. in an intelligent but playful way with your children where they can understand and alert you to inappropriate touching Mm -hmm. but for me that's where it began and i can't say that I really wrestled with it as a child because I didn't have any understanding of it. But when I started coming into my teens, in middle school specifically, those memories started becoming a little bit more vivid and taking on a bit more of a sinister tone. And they made me incredibly uncomfortable. I couldn't figure out why, but I was old enough and puberty's happening and we're all talking about your body's changing and sex ed in eighth grade. And mm-hmm. you're starting to realize you feel like there's a relation here, but you can't put your finger on it and you don't really know and there's not a name for it yet. And then in high school, through media and television and just more adult conversations at that point, I started to realize what those memories were that I had been raped and nonetheless by an extended family member, someone that you should infinitely trust. And I, that's when I sort of began to lose it, if you will. Because it so much time had passed. I didn't know if I could even have this conversation because I was so young. Would anyone believe me? Even questioning myself, did I make this up? I've always had these memories. And as a child, I acted out a lot sexually without 
I think really knowing what it was like my mom would always find me playing doctor with other kids mm-hmm. and like being very aware of genitals and body parts and the mm-hmm. differences with them and she said once you know I had a conversation with them later down the road in late high school that all of a sudden all these things that she thought were odd growing up mm-hmm. she suddenly put them together and understood the framing of them yeah. and why those were happening why I was so sexually awakened at such a young age and so aware of bodies in such a very specific way because kids in general get very aware of bodies at a certain age but I was like very focused on it always making my Barbies have sex Loki it's fine um we all do it um but yeah so really really struggling with the knowledge essentially of what had happened and not really sure what to do with it to be honest like and basically feeling trapped within it and feeling like it was a secret that I had to carry. Right in that phase, we made a major move from the States to go live in Spain uh, for a couple of years. And so we had a big family reunion sort of send off and my uncle was there because mm. he lived far away. And so I didn't really get to see much of him at this point. I remember everyone was outside playing tag team football and I was just kind of aware of what had happened, but not sure what to do with it and being nervous that he was there and I remember I went into the kitchen and everyone else was outside and he came in and we started talking and it felt very teasing. He was, I think, making fun of how scrawny I was. I was a really scrawny kid. I was like, I bet you can defend yourself. I bet you got this. Like, mm. let me take you on or whatever. And essentially starts wrestling me. Mm. And very quickly at this point, he's an adult, has me pinned on the ground. And I, my little heart was just racing in my chest. And suddenly it it basically like was a pivotal moment in fear being a big part of my identity because this person who had done this thing against me when I was younger but who was far removed most of my life now was back. And it was almost like this person is family. I'm going to keep seeing this person. I don't know if I'm going to be able to escape this person. Mm -hmm. And he has me physically pinned on the ground. I cannot move. And he looked into my eyes and he must have seen it because then he smiles at me and says, what, are you scared? And thank God, right then, somebody walked in and he like immediately hopped off and was like, oh, we're just playing around, huh, whatever. I like couldn't shake it for days. I still feel it viscerally even recounting the story. It was such a fearful moment and fear was a big part then. It wasn't just the secret and maybe this beginning of shame, but now fear was a part of the equation because this was a family member who was going to keep being around. And at this point, nobody else knew. So there's no one else holding him accountable. I know. He knows. Nobody else knows. From there, I started basically taking out this. Well, first I fell into a depression Mm -hmm. naturally and was incredibly emotionally volatile. I think more so than most people do with like teen angst or whatever. I took it and just to the nth degree just ran with it. Screaming matches with my parents on the regular over little things. Feeling very, I think, now I can look back on it and realize unstable in my world because my world suddenly felt like it did not have a safe secure place felt that I couldn't share it with my parents and then from that depression essentially started taking it out on myself and started cutting in later high school which was his own whole dark journey honestly I don't even remember where I heard that that was a thing basically it took the pain outside of my soul and put it in a physical body place where I could identify and isolate it. And somehow at the time that was the way that I could have some small sense of control 
over my physical self yep. where I felt like I, I did not have control and did not help that at this time I was in a community of insanely legalistic Christians who basically shamed me left and right. And that was at the point where I decided I didn't really want much to do with any sort of organized religion or faith. I think I always believed in a, a God even through that or some sort of creator, but was even questioning that as what, why even be there if you're going to let these things happen? Yeah. I feel so alone and, and, uh, abused and violated and I don't know what to do with it. And talking about needing community that's positive that all my community at the time was basically telling me how slutty and shameful I was and that I was this dirty dirty Christian girl and I should fix myself and be right before the Lord and you know all that garbage honestly like people actually told their kids that they could not hang out with my family after school so like people had to sneak over if they wanted to hang out with us or I had to go at their highly supervised houses uh, it was just a wreck. And I would say that was a situation then of spiritual abuse. Even I would yeah. say that because I had a lot of Bible, which I believe that Jesus is a loving character who mm-hmm. loves people and wants all people. I mean, it's in the Bible. He took all people under his wing. The only people he ever got overtly mad at were legalistic, overly religious, religious people. Right. So there's that. So there was, on top of then me trying to work through sexual abuse, spiritual abuse in my life at that point too. So I felt even more isolated and alone than I ever had. And how it came to light with my family essentially was in the midst of this. I, for whatever reason, I honestly don't know what, what possessed me, but we had a, in my advanced English class, had an assignment <laughs> Christian schools of writing our testimony Mm. and for whatever reason decided to write out what had happened for the first time ever and turned it in and it was explicit there was no like implication implying like very overtly said it all this is what happened and I've actually recently refound that paper and it it even I was masking so much even in the paper being like but I'm fine and I've repented everything to the Lord it was so Mm. didn't even feel like I could be Again, that's also me taking on the abuse at that point because a lot of the paper is talking about me repenting of my sin as if I had invited any of it kind of thing. There's something about taking ownership of your actions, but that was not anything I needed to take ownership of. But in a community that told me how slutty and dirty I was for two and a half years, basically to assimilate and have some sort of friendship, you learn to concede some things to lay them down just to be able to have a friend essentially. And so... Um, (laughs) which is just my feelings about that as an adult. But, uh, so I wrote this paper and this is actually segue into how we found our title for this podcast was I got it back and I reread it least recently and just was weeping honestly when I saw it again, because instead of a teacher, my teacher pulling me aside or having any sort of loving conversation about it or, I I mean, as a teacher, I don't know how I would handle that situation. I imagine I would try and have some sort of check-in with the student. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. This is conjecture. But instead of anything like that, basically in flowery red pen was like, great use of metaphor. Hmm. Maybe say, uh, what was it was? Mistreated instead of raped. (laughs) Just covering right over it. My God. Yeah. Yeah. And those red letters of just... It just seems so bright and cheery and convicting somehow. And it was just a really visceral image is why we came up with the red letter. So yeah. that's why we have the name of the podcast. 
she did apparently mention to my parents that I turn in a questioning questioning paper and then they should talk with me about it to which they decided to go onto my computer find the paper oh. and then have a whole talk <laughs> so that was uh thanks mom and dad real uncomfortable love you. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's all out of a place of love but sure. this was the one because i know mom and dad will be listening we love we you we do mom love and dad. you for real <laughs> we do no computer snooping anymore <laughs> <laughs> but um this was the one incident where there they've been so loving and supporting Mm -hmm. throughout my journey minus this one incident this one incident was really mishandled Mm. um where basically upon finding it i was corralled on after school and i came home to come downstairs have a private conversation understandably my mom and dad are very emotional about it because this is a big reveal and and their minds probably explained a lot of my behavior over the years and my anger and volatility but then it got mishandled because mm. their response after having a conversation about it with me and verifying that it was true, my mom acknowledging that this made so much sense with so many little flags along the road was to then call up this uncle and put him on the phone with me and force him to apologize to me while they sat on the line, which was mm. the worst possible thing that could have happened. Yeah. This is not someone I wanted to talk to. Hearing his voice made my skin crawl. I did not want some forced apology from him that I knew was not genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, that second is- incident, what a year and a half, two years before, proved this was not, there's no genuine yeah. remorse in this at all. And basically proceeded to me hating my parents for the next two years because it's like re traumatizing that person, yeah. basically saying, Oh, you were assaulted. Let me, as close as we can be to putting you in a room with that abuser and forcing him to falsely apologize. It was Ugh. awful. <laughs> Honestly, I love them. Mom and Papa are wonderful, but that was a big no-no in my journey. Uh, It's part of why what you're doing right now, fast forward years later, is so helpful. And even what we've already talked about as far as how do you engage this? Mm -hmm. How do we talk about this in a way that is healthy? Yeah. Because your parents of all people, you specifically, not everyone has the same experience with their parents, but a lot of our parents... They're doing their best, too. They're humans, mm-hmm. and they're trying to come from a place of love and then do it horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong, horribly insensitively. Mm. So kudos on you for, like, giving people tools now that, in theory, that type of conversation doesn't go down again. So someone else doesn't have to hate their parents. We have your trying For two years. So you hate your parents for two years, <laughs> yeah. and then what? Yeah, that really put a stint in our relationship for a, for a beat to put a pin in it. And honestly, it just escalated after that. It got worse. As I then sort of had began to have my sexual awakening in my late teens. But in that sexual awareness, then when you're trying to think as a teen, how you perceive yourself as a sexual being. And I decided to basically, and I do not ascribe to the sort of sometimes religious notion that sexuality is like your ultimate prize. Um, your virginity is your prize. And mm. that was a lot of what I was hearing. And to me, then someone whose virginity was taken, I didn't sure. get a choice in when to give that at that point, that I basically was like, well, it's gone. So I have no worth sexually in my Christian community. So now I'm just gonna give it away mm-hmm. to anybody that I like. And basically put no no weight or sacredness or specialness on sexuality. And as much as I don't think it is a prize 
I also do think that it is beautiful and sacred and bonding scientifically. There's so much bonding that happens. This. Yeah, yeah, this is just science, y'all, at this point. Not even spirituality or religion. So much physical bonding happens when you have sex. Mm-hmm. Not to mention emotional bonding. Like, so much happens that I just utterly disregarded it and was like, well, mine's not special because mine people just take from me. So mm-hmm. that's where mine's at. It's gone kind of thing and saw it as worthless where now I see it as you should be so lucky if I would ever choose to be with you and so going out which footnote had reconstructive jaw surgery it was on a ton of medication so I was also on hard prescribed drugs yeah controlled substances like a lot because that's major reconstructive surgery while I'm going through this like sexual denouement myself and just really Best put year me in ever a, in a great yeah. place. Senior year was awesome. Ugh, and high school. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Senior year was a banner Ooh. year. Just a great year. And I <laughs> clearly handled it emotionally very well on lots of drugs. So oh, that's yeah. great. Definitely one of the years I'm Doozy. least proud of myself. But I don't hold it against myself because there was a lot that I was going through. So I'm uh, trying yes. to see myself as a human <laughs> in the whole of it. Yeah. But also... Honestly, I was just total dick mm. to everyone. So from there, I basically went to college away from my family in California and did not know anyone, but there was a sense of escapism to it that sounded really lovely to mm. me at the time of sunshine and beaches and newness and no one there knows me and I can build myself however I want and create this new me kind of thing in this new place. And at this point, have rejected all spirituality but trying to be hopeful and was met with loving community, Mm. with people who would be silly with me, just surrounded by play with young people who didn't know me and were willing to accept me at face value with whatever Mm. I presented them and didn't question it. And that was so new and beautiful for me that I essentially just honestly relished in it. And, and did create this person. And I decided to get a theater degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. So mm-hmm. theater it was. I found a lot of catharsis in basically getting to choose these scenes and be lucky to be cast in these roles where I could be mm-hmm. these, you know, um, loose women or these conservative mm-hmm. people or these angry people and just basically let out the full range of all these feelings I'd been hiding and penting up or yeah. letting out on myself out through characters in a safe way where no one knew that's what I was really feeling. It's yeah. just this character in this scene. And found a lot, a lot of, of actors <laughs> have that experience. Yep. Yes. A lot of quiet catharsis in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and by by the end of that freshman year of college, honestly, just in starting to come in such a beautiful place and trying to find myself and root mm-hmm. myself in a way that I liked and I was mm-hmm. enjoying and I could see other people enjoying me and right at that time as life does I was working a job at a restaurant at the beginning of my sophomore year of college and there was a boy there who worked there too that I was had a crush on was crushing he invited me to hang out one night after work at his dad's place he lived with his dad so I was like well this is yeah we'll be safe his dad's there whatever Mm -hmm. so I go over and then we watch a movie and just all a Twitter pated. As the movie progresses, we started to make out, and 
that was on board with, was so mm-hmm. happy. Like, I was crushing on this guy for a while I had been. Then it starts progressing and started to feel uncomfortable with where it was going. And at that point, it got pretty aggressive. And he just put his hand over mouth and was kept repeating, shut up. Yeah. And I remember when he was done and I was getting dressed afterwards, he was like, what? What's the matter? You, you, what's going on? And whatever. I was reading the shock essentially on my face. I remember the world feeling like it was moving in slow motion. Mm. And I remember looking at him and saying, why did you do that? I said, stop. I bit your hand. And he was, oh, I think I just thought you were into it. You're playing rough. No, sorry. But that was not what was going on. And then he, again, in shock, slowly moved to my car. He walked me out, hugged me, kissed me on my forehead goodnight and sent me on my way. Mm. And uh, I remember I went back to my dorm and it was late at night at this point and just held it together in the car and just felt dead inside. And the second I walked into my dorm room, closed the door, and immediately crumpled and just started weeping on the floor. Mm. And my roommates at the time, sweet things, like got up in the middle of the night and were like, what's going on? And we're very yeah. concerned. And I honestly, I don't remember what I told them. I, I was in s- such shock because at this point I was aware of what had happened when I was younger, right. for which I felt like at the time was rare. And for this to have happened once was rare and bad enough, but twice I must be inviting it then. This was my fault. I liked this boy. I went to his house. I should have known. You know, I did I did want to make out, but I probably, like, gave hints that I wanted more. And so, of course, he thought that. And just this one fully internalized yeah. as being my fault for a while Ugh. afterwards. Because the family one, being a child... I had some understanding as much as I wrestled with it that I did not invite that. I was a child. But being an adult, thinking, well, I'm an adult woman. I should have known better. Like, I should have known. Basically took that uphill climb that I was doing great and spiraled. Yeah. Went into deep depression. Tried to overdose with pills one night in my dorm room. Just could not. Could not pull myself up from it and I think that's where the importance of community really comes into play because a lot of times when you're in that space you can't on your own you're fighting or you're not and you're just laying down for it because I would not blame anyone you don't it's so violating and you don't know where to go my RA funnily enough uh noticed a change in me and asked me about it and I decided to share with her and I think policy was they were supposed to report it but she agreed not to if I would check in with her regularly God bless her for doing that because that would have honestly made it worse. Mm. Last thing I needed was another legalistic authoritarian figure in my life. She she truly did keep it private and I hold so much love and respect for her for just walking with me in a personal way and not, I guess, not following the rules, if you will. Like she broke code in the best way because mm. I did and she kept, she she pushed in and she checked in a lot with me but gave me my space to just sit and just be with it and mourn it and be confused about it and be hurt about it be angry about it and ended up asking my general manager to switch our shifts and so I never worked with this person again asked him never to communicate with me again and that he knew what he did and handled it that way I've had people question me about it why didn't I take it to court why didn't I make it a legal thing and honestly I for me at the time I don't think that would have been the healthiest choice hmm. like I couldn't even handle my own feelings. I was barely getting to a healthy place for the first time in a very long time. That's it. Then make it very public. 
And maybe as an adult, I would have done it. Maybe now I would do it differently. I don't know, probably, honestly. But uh, for me then, I don't hold that choice against her because she was so lost. College Sheila was so lost. She was just starting to find herself and then got just cut at the knees again with like the most wounding way that it could have happened. It was not a bad breakup. It was not, you know, it was re-victimization mm-hmm. and through someone that I liked this time what was a saving grace in college and helped begin to pull me out of this aside from that very loving RA was we did the college I went to did like a inner beauty week at college mm-hmm. and we were yep. encouraged <laughs> to cover up all of our mirrors for mm-hmm. a week and not wear makeup and to just exist as the majestic creatures that we are around mm-hmm. campus and the women on my floor all did it. We all participated. They were all really committed, which was cool. And then every night we would meet in the floor sort of hallway and just check in and chat. And it was on one of those nights that a girl, not myself, first shared her story with assault. And then it was, haha, me too, me too, me too, me too. Yeah. And I'm sitting there always thinking that this was such an isolated experience and that it happened multiple times. Like I must have invited this that it wasn't just me. And that was the first time I had that realization. Honestly, I want to say, maybe I'm being big on this estimate, but I want to say it was 40% of the floor had wow. experienced some form of sexual assault or physical assault or verbal abuse. Yeah. Like abuse was rampant. Yeah. And well, a third, that's 33%. A third. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. It was so many. And I remember it was just this breakthrough, this super emotional moment of realizing that I wasn't alone and that people were talking about it and that I could talk about it. And so I shared my story. But it was so beautiful and empowering and just spoke life into what was happening with me. Yeah. And community, not just through the friends that I made at college at this point, but through the other abused women at this point. That there was mm-hmm. community within community yeah. and that we could talk about it. And no one pitied anyone. Mm-hmm. But because so many of us had been through it, it was just love and encouragement it was beautiful honestly and that sort of was a turning point then in me saying okay if so many people are going through this and being so brave sharing it and I admire them so much and I didn't know they've been through it I want to be that person too I want to be someone who talks about it and who is not afraid of this and who tries to move forward through it and be the brave, beautiful women that I saw in front of me. I wanted to see myself that way. I knew yeah. I didn't, but I wanted to. And I had that click that it was possible. I wish I could say it was like an easy journey from then on out. And then we're here today. <laughs> la, 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 la. Never, not usually like that. So basically college goes on and we're sort of working on ourselves. Not exactly. Yeah. I chose my first sexual partner when I was in my senior year of college and chickened out partway through <laughs> I was like just kidding I'm not ready I'm so sorry for your blue balls um but uh was handled very poorly and ended up being shamed for it mm. and basically immediately told it's good it didn't happen because I'm corrupting them and then trying to better themselves anyways oh and um that they actually never mind after talking to me for years they can't talk to me anymore and that this just needs to be a hard cut because I'm a bad influence. Mm. I'm like, okay. Got it. Two to tango, homie. Yeah. yeah. But okay. Total shaming on me. And they even pulled a spiritual card of, I've been trying to re- reconnect with my spirituality. 
this is clearly corrupting my progress. I was like, I'm sorry. Take a little responsibility on your own, sir. Didn't seem to have a problem with it until I basically said no. And then we had a problem. At that point, as much as I was trying to progress into being a person who was not ashamed Mm -hmm. of my, my journey and what I had been through and to be this independent agent of myself, yeah. it did further, I guess, etch into who I was becoming that my sexuality was not special. Sex was not beautiful. Mm-hmm. I did not understand why people had good experiences, how they had them. It just wasn't going to be for me kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, chose to then just seek out partners who, who were not engaging. I had a partner who wouldn't let me touch him mm-hmm. when we wouldn't have, have sex. I was not allowed to touch him which that was very short-lived and this was just what I knew and I was accepting as my reality of like I can be an independent strong person but sex won't be good I won't enjoy it it's just something that people can take from me to make them happy kind of thing which is so sad but that's where I was that was what all I had been shown what had been reinforced over the years and so I accepted it Mm. and took me to then after graduating college I've moved out to LA I'm met, met a guy on tinder started dating hey. Hey-o. and as much as that was a very manipulative mm. unhealthy relationship what I am grateful for from it and I think I could have found it a different way what I'm grateful for from this uh, boyfriend that I had was that it was the first consensual uh, loving and positive sexual experience mm. where I was not pressured at all to engage sexually before I was ready. And Mm. then when I felt that I was, it was very loving Mm. and very sweet and tender. And it wasn't rough. It was mutual team sport. Mm -hmm. And I felt as much as I felt I needed to get out of that relationship when I did, I felt so grateful that basically this choice that I had made, albeit an unhealthy partner, that in my opinion, God still gave me something good to take out of it. It was like, mm-hmm. well, you're going to go girl do your thing anyways. Like, all right, well, at least I'm going to try and help fix this situation <laughs> for you because you're just out here mm-hmm. wiling. And, um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, um, and was so grateful because I left that relationship then with a hope. Suddenly I understood why people liked sex, why sex was beautiful, why it was People talked about making love and the intimacy of sex yeah. and why it's so bonding. Because up to now, there was no bond with right. sex. It was just something people took from me, mm-hmm. like a currency almost that I had mm-hmm. to offer people to make people like me. Or uh, also sometimes something that made me feel a little bit powerful maybe if I was choosing it. And it was honestly very unhealthy, yeah. very unhealthy. But then this partner that I had, this boyfriend, basically through our sexual history – showed me healing beautiful sexuality Mm -hmm. and funnily enough made me want to then not have sex with people after that Mm. from having only abusive manipulative sexual experiences to then a positive consensual one suddenly I didn't want to just have sex the wildin was over and I saw it as a beautiful bonding thing and something that I enjoyed for the first Mm -hmm. time in my life and actually took pleasure in and understood sexual pleasure which I hadn't before and it started to shape in my mind that I I didn't want the half-rate version of it with yeah. someone who didn't appreciate it or deserve it or treat me like I should be. Yep. And I wanted someone who saw it as the same. At this point, I'm in L.A., fall into a community of people out here who 
I felt safe to share my story with and mm-hmm. who did meet me with empathy and questions. Mm-hmm. And you wanted him. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm glad. Just so our listeners know. Glad to be part of Alex has been a life giver. change. But people who were willing to, when I would be self-deprecating on yeah. occasion, things like that, be like, what are you doing? That's not you. This mm-hmm. is you. Like we, we see what's in there and you're selling yourself short yeah. and kept speaking that into me until I started believing it too mm-hmm. and started making better choices in my relationships, started valuing my sexuality, started saying no basically mm-hmm. to people. Sex is a loaded gun for me because it's been abused. I have a different journey than a lot of people might with sexuality. That was a big step for me because sexuality is a big part of who we are as mm-hmm. adults. Whether you're active or not, whether you're married or single, whether you are religious or not, whether it's re- recreational or not. Like yeah. our sexuality is such a huge part of who we are. As, I mean, we're literally made with reproductive parts <laughs> to be able to yes. reproduce mm-hmm. and enjoy. Sexuality is part of our actual physical being and our emotional, spiritual being. Mm-hmm. And I think it is good and beautiful, but it took a lot of fighting to get there and a, and meeting honestly just the right people that I think serendipitously were placed in my life to encourage that and to encourage me enjoying my sexuality in a personal way and being willing to push back against unhealthy habits that I didn't even realize I had and speaking that out to me uh basically the huge part of my healing at that point was the therapy that I started going to maybe Mm -hmm. two years later and the community that was speaking love and identity into me because I still had that negative self-abusive voice inside of me that was so, I mean, you know, so quick to criticize myself and to undercut myself and to not see myself as worthy. And thank God over the last two years, especially that voice is almost silent. It rears its head every once in a blue moon, but (laughs) now we're aware of it and we know it's game and we know Mm -hmm. what it's doing and we say, hell no. Mm -hmm. And we do not allow it in. Or if we do, I have a code emoji that I text to a couple women in my life Mm -hmm. and they know what it means. And then they meet me in that moment and then it passes quicker that way. But honestly, community, 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 and the right community is one of the biggest parts of being able to heal and step into a positive identity after a trauma. And that changed everything for me was having people who let me be honest and vulnerable about where I was at with it. I didn't feel like I had to be less of myself or censor myself. And then I wasn't any, I wasn't a bad person for it or for exploring it. And that because I am a believer, I'm a Christian that God didn't love me any less for exploring it either. That mm. he knows we're human and that we're on a journey. He sees my my hurt and wants to walk with me through wherever I go with that. I am, in fact, loved by many people. I have much to give to many people. I have talents that I have been given that I can flourish and step into and enjoy as mm-hmm. hobbies or as careers and passions that I am valued as a relational and sexual being and to see and live into that value mm-hmm. and to expect that same sight of myself in my partners and in the people in my life and to not settle for less and yeah I have not always been able to say this so this is not not narcissism but I'm very proud of the person that I am today pride self-pride is not inherently vain or conceitedness or narcissism it's Mm -hmm. like we probably use a little more 
self-gratitude <laughs> is another way to think of it is yeah. we're really quick you know gratitude is a catchword and being grateful and having a gratitude journal and all those things and we're really good I think or I'll speak for myself I'm really good at I'm grateful for good friends or I'm grateful for my health or I'm grateful for all outside stuff mm. and it's just been recently that I start saying you know what I'm grateful that I've been putting work into myself. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I am brave enough to go to therapy. I'm yeah. grateful that I told a really funny joke and people laughed at it and I'm funny. <laughs> like that kind of that self thing. Because I love what you said about how can you expect to be treated, you know, by a partner, specifically in the sexual context, a certain way or hope that they see you in a certain light or whatever if you don't see yourself mm -hmm. in that same way. Yeah. I think that's an interesting part of the healing process that people don't necessarily think about or talk about that much because we're so, we can be so wrapped up in healing and moving through whatever the trauma has been that then it's like, okay, I made it. I'm done. Mm. Like, well, maybe like you've, you've come a long way and that's amazing. And yeah. I'm not, you know, making light of that, but then what? Yeah. Are you just okay or do you actually love yourself? Mm -hmm. Are you holding other people to a higher standard because you know what you're worth? Sharing fully and from a place of health and self-gratitude and all that kind of stuff is more recent in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Still, the decision to go fully public, where did that come from? Yeah, well, our listeners don't know, but uh, Alex here <laughs> okay. this is not a ploy for her to talk about me <laughs> was a big part of that basically last july uh july 2018 we were hanging out and Dang. she was talking about i know it's been a minute yeah. she's talking about all the amazing things she was feeling vision for and moving into and gonna start and i remember being so excited but then I think you read a look on my face that was like a little like I don't know disheartened or cynical I don't know what it was and you pushed in about it and asked about it and I basically just honestly said I'm so excited for you but like sometimes it's hard for me to hear all the amazing things you have vision for and are doing because I'm feeling a little stagnant and I feel like I I want something that I feel this passionate about in my life and um you pressed in and asked you basically what some options were what some of those might be and the one that stuck out the strongest was basically always having this hope and holding on to this belief that I don't think God makes bad things happen to us um or even actively lets bad things happen to us I believe in a God that created free will mm -hmm. and so basically he is here to walk with us and redeem things and basically take a bad thing and make it good. Yeah. But we have free will. He's not a puppet master. So evil is going to happen because free will, yeah. which is a theological argument, but it's fine. <laughs> Next um, episode. Right. Yeah. So for me, I believe that there's going to be, had been holding on, there's going to be some sort of positive to come out of what I've had to go through. Yeah. And at that point, you basically challenged me to write it out, write out my story through the lens of identity struggles and abuse. But did it. We did it. We finished it by the deadline. Which was your out. birthday. I remember it was. that. Like yeah. choosing something symbolic. Life tip. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're doing, put a deadline on it or you're not going to do it. Let's be real. That's true. And make it something that, you know, I just remember being excited for you by the thought that like, hey, as a birthday gift to yourself this year, why don't you tell your story mm -hmm. in a way you've never done it before? Yeah. That was a big deal. 
It was. And I felt it. Like, and I knew proud it. Proud of you. Yes. Uh, so much feels. <laughs> and it was honestly very cathartic, but very much more emotional than I thought it would be. Because at this yeah. point, enough time had passed. And I had gone to therapy and I worked through in a lot of positive ways that I thought it would just be this like healthy detachment. And I would just write it out as I was writing out in detail and from start to finish, essentially my story, my life story, I would cry and be broken anew for myself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these points of what was lost and the hard time I had getting to where I was, it was not an easy journey. And recognizing as I'm writing it out, a lot of that was through my own choices and owning that at times where I inhibited my own growth, all sorts of side things. And not all of it's on me, but I think there's importance in taking an ownership over our response to things, essentially. Uh, But wrote it out and then just sat on it because I was like, (laughs) I should not be sharing my story. Who am I to do anything? It just felt very self-serving and Mm -hmm. I felt very insecure about it, to be honest. And I would argue that's probably some of that shame coming back. Mm -hmm. So much shame had been put onto you and then integrated into that story mm-hmm. how could you not no for that's a second fair. feel oh you know whatever yeah that, that insecurity rising back up that's fair and you're probably sharing, right you know yeah so uh i sat on it for a couple <laughs> of weeks and then uh you invited me to a birthday party that i crashed <laughs> it was a friend of yours that was open invite to be fair but i crash it whose birthday travis oh my gosh yes, yes. okay wow So I crashed his birthday party, Mm -hmm. and regardless of people's opinions on what you want to label it as, like we have our religious people who might call it prophecy, we have our spiritual agnostic people who just call it intuition Mm -hmm. or lucky guess or whatever, like I'm open, we can call it whatever we want, but what happened happened You had a word. But I was at this party, and this cute boy walked up to me, and we started (laughs) talking, and within like... Honestly, three minutes. We barely knew anything about each other. We're just, hey, how are you? You seem familiar. You know Mm -hmm. so-and-so. Cool. Great. Awesome. He pauses the conversation and says, "Uh, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you this. Um, You're supposed to share your story. (laughs) And I was like, excuse me, what? (laughs) And he's like, no, no, no. This is very uncomfortable for me. I don't really ever do this. But I just really, really feel like I'm supposed to tell you that. And he doesn't even know my story at this point. We mm-hmm. have not gotten into that. And he's like, I don't know if that means anything. I'm sorry, whatever. And I was like, no, 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 no. You have no idea. The last three weeks, I just finished writing my story. And mm-hmm. I've been sitting on it because it feels self-serving. And I feel uh, inadequate to share. And we had this great five-minute, it was brief conversation. He went up and left and said hi to somebody else. But it just rocked me, this mm-hmm. weird moment of this stranger speaking such specificity into something that I was wrestling with and at that point decided to say fuck it and go for it Mm -hmm. and sent it to you literally the next day or two days later I was like all right here it is just read it whatever you Mm -hmm. love me anyways it doesn't matter I'm not impressing you (laughs) (laughs) safe audience you did impress me first of all but yes I was going to love you regardless (laughs) true and then honestly from there it just I can't even say that I pre-planned it. I was just mm-hmm. chatting with a bunch of girlfriends one night. They knew I had written out the story. We were asking, you know, in what capacity did I maybe want to use it? As we were sitting there talking about it, 
it was like an out-of-body experience where I'm suddenly out of the blue. I've never thought of it before. You know what? I've been thinking I could do a podcast and da 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 and we could make it come. And as I'm saying it, I'm looking at myself like, oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> I've been thinking that? Okay. You're like, oh, yeah. well, we're thinking about it now. Well, just, oh, well, that sounds cool. I can be impulsive. <laughs> and it's like, like, this is serious. If I'm going to do this, I don't want to take this lightly. There is a lot of responsibility that I feel should be taken seriously yeah. and having any sort of conversation about this. The more I sat with it, the more it just felt right. I love people. I love hearing people's stories. I mm. always have. How did you meet your husband? Mm. Like, how did you get into your career? What are you doing with your life? I just like hearing people's stories mm. and just being an active listener. It, honestly, I didn't have to dig for it. Last question. Mm-hmm. I think... I won't speak for all listeners, but as one... A rainbow! <gasps> it, oh my God. The there Lord! is. It's a big one. It's a sign. Guys, there's blessed. a giant rain. It's not even actively raining. It's a and huge rainbow. there's a rainbow. big old rainbow, like very right visible, right on time. Mm. The Lord is in this place. <laughs> I believe it. I believe. <laughs> it's a promise. <laughs> anyway, um, I think... If I was listening right now, and as I'm sitting here right now, I feel encouraged and inspired and like, yes, if she can overcome it, so can I. Or if she's in process, I can be too. We haven't arrived anywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't think we anyone arrives. <laughs> yeah, no one. I don't believe that people, I don't think we arrive at very much in our life. I think no. it's a journey. You know, I would be curious what's next for for you, where, you know, we see where you've come to. And since I am your friend <laughs> and am privy in part to what you're up to right now, mm -hmm. not only this podcast and your career and so many things, but we've hit a lot on relationships. And I know that that's something that you are, you know, desirous of. You are, want a partner who loves you. We just talked about. But whoever he is lucky will bastard. think you're funny. He is a lucky <laughs> bastard. He will think you're funny and he will think you're beautiful. And a question that um, you had said something about some men when they find out, you know, when they hear your story and it's like this whole thing has been revealed, they're then not okay anymore. Mm -hmm. They either, whatever, their insecurity comes up or they don't know how to process it they don't know how to deal with it they think of you as damaged goods which mm -hmm. is don't get me started on that <sighs> yeah mm -hmm. and I'm curious what would it look like for you have you even imagined yet what would it be like if someone was attracted to your story not just okay with it mm. but was like wow look at her look what she's been through I'm more attracted to her knowing what I know uh, sounds magical. <laughs> Have yet yes. to encounter this. Uh, I dated someone a couple years ago who was the first person who basically didn't see me differently for it, mm. which was really beautiful. It was like, great, thank you for sharing that story with me. That was so vulnerable. In turn, shared his story, not of abuse, but just his journey, and uh, met my vulnerability with his vulnerability, which was really beautiful. Mm. And in a way specifically healthy with my story where I felt like I could be open and honest and it was received, but mm -hmm. didn't change me in their eyes. And that was new. But the idea of someone who sees it as actually an attractive quality in me mm -hmm. honestly sounds like like freaking Christmas morning. Sounds <laughs> great. So yes, uh, wherever he is, 
Looking forward to meeting you, mm-hmm. sailor. But um, we believe. Yeah, I so asked. It was a loaded and leading question because I believe <laughs> that that will happen. I really do. Like, mm. I almost think it's because of where your self worth is and where it's going, and the fact that you are filling that tank outside of a man. Like you've been doing that through mm. yourself, through therapy, through the community that you have worked to be in. None of this just happened magically. Nope. Like I think the person that's coming in this new phase is someone who will in fact be like damn Hmm. she went through that and this is who she is i think he that's the only option at this point because that's where you are and to me as your friend that and as a woman and just all of it that's such a it's not like the point of all of this is to get Mm -mm. a husband god (laughs) no but Uh -uh. again because i would be curious listening where she at Mm -hmm. it's like just knowing that that's one just one yeah of the results of all of this this like life is a new standard for who you allow in romantically. Yeah, for sure. Is amazing. Preach, girl. That was really sweet. Thank you for saying that. This is part of self-talk, allowing you to compliment me and to That's accept right. it. Listeners, no scoffing. Accept. You didn't scoff. I didn't scoff. Mm-hmm. I'm tra- training that chick out. Just accept the compliment. Um, no, I really appreciate that. And I w- am joining you in that belief, honestly. And you're 100% right. I would not settle for less a relationship is something I desire and a partner, like a true life partners, I believe is coming. And I'm believing that for myself and looking forward to that. Um, but I'm not rushing into anything either because there's just no need, you honestly. You. Yeah. There's no need. Like, I am genuinely so satisfied in where I'm at that, yeah, I am my own person outside of sexual abuse. Get to know that person. And then maybe one day I'll hopefully tell you because I trust you. But in sharing this podcast, I was sharing with Alex this morning, I'm surrendering the right to choose mm. to share that out the gate. So basically anyone who comes into my life at this point will know. And in a way, it's great because it weeds out people that that would be an issue with. I ain't got time for that anyway. So <laughs> boy, bye. Snaps for that. <laughs> yes. But it is, it is a big surrender for mm. me, especially someone who is very big into control and <laughs> is working on that as well actively right now. And likes to have a plan that makes me feel safe because life has often led me to feel out of control so being Mm -hmm. in control of my environment is a way that I feel safe but um, it's also a way to isolate myself Mm -hmm. and others and so we're working on being a little more surrendering in that but part of that surrender so this is part of that surrender essentially is surrendering the ability to choose to tell that being said you brought up a good point this morning when I mentioned that of yes this is my first foot forward with any new person now But whoever I end up marrying Mm -hmm. is going to get um, a different version of this story, a very personal one, Mm -hmm. probably more intimate Mm -hmm. sharing of it. And it will be different. And that was encouraging when you said that of I was feeling a little stress of surrendering my right to choose and to share. And there is an element of that. But also, I do still have it. It just looks a little different now. Yeah. Which is, I think you're, it's an empowered surrender. Yeah. You're not just... Sometimes surrender is synonymous with giving up. You're not doing that. You Mm-mm. are surrendering to a greater good. I think whether you're coming from a Christian context listening or the universe or the spaghetti though. monster, whatever, in the <laughs> sky. I think when we surrender in the sense of I'm getting out of my own way now 
or I'm willing to sacrifice my fear and trade it for courage, or I'm willing to sacrifice my, you know, insecurity around this and trade it for vulnerability. That type of surrender in service of the greater good, knowing that you're adding value to other people and affirming their story, that type of surrender is really empowering. I know that in your experience, you are so grateful for you know, like you just said, this RA who is willing to keep your story private and you ask for that. What is that line of, quote, keeping a secret versus telling when there is something as serious as abuse or assault involved? Like, how do you make that call? If someone comes to me with a story and says, please don't tell anybody, and they've been raped, my natural inclination is going to be like, ah, what do I do with this now? So for you... What's that line? What's that balance of respecting privacy and confidentiality and, you know, maybe getting people the help, quote, help that they need? Hmm. That's a really serious question. And just to be clear with everyone, uh, I will openly say I'll have an opinion that I'll share, but this is by no means fact or a rule to hard live by um, because... To be honest, I have my experience, but I've never had anyone share something that they were actively being abused in. And so, yeah, I don't know if there's there's a way to handle it when someone comes to you with that, just to be upfront about that. I just want to be open with my answer that it is an opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my opinion, there is a line. I think, unfortunately, especially if it's been chronic, been happening for a while over amount of time, A lot of times, and there's a lot of evidence to show this, it is important to be an advocate for that person and to maybe then in that situation push for them to speak to an authority or to leave and just get to a safe place or whatever it is. But that won't stick unless that person chooses it for themselves. To to not stop ever showing up for that person Mm. and to keep hammering the, the like how unsafe that se- situation is for them, how abusive it is, but to always be a resource and make that clear. Even if you're frustrated, if they keep going back to this person, make clear, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep being here until you're safe. At the end of the day, they make a choice. Yeah. You cannot kidnap someone to safety. Mm. It doesn't work that way. That being said, if it's a matter of the harm that they're in, is towards themselves. Like with my RA where I, she knew I was very depressive, still chose to keep and and to privately journey with me through that, which thinking about it now, she's only like two years older than me. I'm like, God, that's a heavy burden that she was carrying. God bless her um, for doing it as beautifully as she did. But I would say at that point, because that is a, a little bit of a separate conversation, that feeling safe and like there's someone trustworthy in your life is so crucial when you're going through abuse that I would, or again, just an opinion, say if someone comes to you and shares an abuse with you to bring up what do you want to do? Would you like to go to the authorities? I will go with you. Do you want to report this person? I'll sit with you if it takes two days. Clearly, this is more important. But if that answer is a no, because it even might just be initially a no, they might change their mind. Pushing it is not going to is not going to make them get there faster. Mm. It might make them shut down and say, well, this person isn't going to hear me and this person is just going to push because they have this idea of what I should do. I'm not ready or I don't want to at all, ever, whatever that response is. But if their response is to just 
keep it private like mine was, that's a lot to ask of someone. Yeah. But I think what that person would need in that moment, what I needed in that moment, was someone who wasn't going to betray trust because mm. trust had been betrayed. Mm. And there had been so much abuse of just my vulnerability even, let alone my physical body and my sexual being, that the best way she loved me was to trust, that I knew that I could go to on my dark days. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there was someone I could keep returning to and sharing with helped that process so much because had she gone to the school authorities or whatever and mentioned it, that would now be one more unsafe person. At that point, I'm isolated, which is the worst place to be when you're handling abuse is such an isolating experience as it is than to further isolate it by having no one safe to talk about it that's just making it infinitely harder than it needs to be so I guess yeah I would say that's the line respect 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 as much as you can within the confines of I don't know life or death situations something a little more immediate but um I think at the end of the day I guess trust is most important yeah it's really powerful I, in part, ask that, too, because a lot of the criticism I've heard of Time's Up Me Too is, why did you wait 10 years? Why did Mm. you wait 15 years? Now you're just ganging up on this person, or Mm. you're just coming out because it's popular or whatever. (laughs) And I think, I mean, to be honest, I understand why people are saying that. I don't think that's a (laughs) very loving thing, but I get logically the question of, why did you wait so long? And then I have the question of, I wonder if they told somebody and then that person just didn't tell. And, like, what is that, you know, balance of, Yeah, is there a responsibility to take it to authorities or to take it legal or whatever, like you said. But it sounds like it is more, you know, case by case and really trying to get super clear on what that person needs at that time and being willing to walk with them. Yeah. Because there is the risk, say, no one reports it, the person who is who is violenced against or the person who hears the story. The risk of that is that that person then maybe becomes a serial offender. Right. And this is something that is, and we've seen that so much, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning of the Me Too movement with all these people that you find out have been for years and decades at times abusing people mm-hmm. so that that's the main risk for sure and I think it's important to acknowledge that that is a choice I do think that is a choice that the victim gets to make yeah I don't think anyone should force them into a public light into any sort of press ring if they choose it amazing that's so incredibly brave mm-hmm. and strong oh my god so so strong but to been so brave and go through that And then to see virtually no fruit because our effed up system, there's not a guaranteed reward for that bravery. Unfortunately, that's not where we're at. We're still favoring a lot of the the perpetrators. Right. I think it needs to be a choice. And they they carry that choice with them. I thought about that with when I was assaulted by that guy in college about when I chose not to report it Mm -hmm. and to actually do anything about it aside from being active for myself to make myself safe in that situation of what if he went on and did this again but that is a choice that I made and I still do believe was the healthiest choice for me at that time and I hope to God that this was a one-off or maybe some other person was braver than I was and willing to do that but I think at the end of the day it needs to be a personal choice we can't force that because it could actually I think depending on the person and situation cause more harm Mm -hmm. to that person who needs to heal that is super important I don't know if I can say the most important because we also need Mm -hmm. to stop these acts of violence but it is very important 
to factor that person's health and journey in and let them have the power to choose again in a situation where they've been made to feel so powerless. We ought to give them that power at least to choose. You have to release it mm-hmm. and just make a choice at the end of the day. Whoa, Alex just hit the mic. Sorry, what a spaz. <laughs> not to end on a down note. I'll tape this ending. Here you go. This is your ending, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we know that we have reached the end of the podcast because I have unbuttoned the top of my jeans because <laughs> it's cozy time. Hey. We're relaxing. They're high-waisted. They're real denim. You guys know what that means, ladies. Ladies, you know. I don't think they have high-waisted men pants for men anymore, at least not denim. So, um, yeah, it's cozy time. We're wrapping this puppy up. That's your sign. I'm already shoeless and in a comfy sweater. I'll unbutton my jeans.